Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I am talking to Anthony Smith about singer-songwriters. You may recognize that name because it is the same Anthony who wrote the theme music for What Am I Missing? And as you'll hear, we'll go into a bit of the history of that collaboration up top and why it sounds the way it does, and then the conversation quickly diverts into what defines a singer-songwriter. Uh, there's some Beatles in there, some Leonard Cohen. Oh, and we even slip in a few rap and hip-hop references, too. Uh, If you love music, you'll enjoy this episode, and hopefully you'll learn something that you never knew before, just like I did. Uh, Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and as always, there is a sneak preview of episode 10 coming out next Monday at the very end of this show. But enough preamble. Let's true our aim with Anthony Smith. Take it away, Anthony, and then take it away again. Right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm sitting here in the What Am I Missing studios, a.k.a. my office, uh, with Mr. Anthony Smith. Hello. Hello, uh, which is special for a few reasons. Um, uh, number one, because I'm very excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today to learn a bit more about this topic, but also because you may have heard this name uh, previous to this, because Anthony actually wrote the uh, the theme music for this podcast. I, I did. Uh, which is which is awesome. Um, so I'm so happy to actually have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, love the theme music, um, and and it's it's appropriate that you're actually here today to talk about songwriters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And songwriting. Yeah, songwriting. Um, because that's something that you do. It's something I try to do. That's something. Well, <laughs> on occasion, <laughs> you do it. You do it more than I do. So okay, I'll I, give you that. by comparison, <laughs> I'll give you that. you're 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 the songwriter in the room right now. <laughs> okay, and I will enough. give that to you. Uh, no, I obviously um, you were you were the um, you were the person that I thought of when conceiving the podcast and knowing that I needed music, um, and uh, it was you know it was it was it was kind of a cool thing to be able to write and just say, hey, here's the idea. You know me. Write a song that. You know that makes that that's me. Yeah. And uh, and I you know and I was like I, I like '60s rock. I like that kind of sound. And you came back and you said, um, I hope you don't mind. It's not really Beatles. It's more zombies. And yeah. I was like, Oh, perfect. <laughs> Which I don't even. That was like an initial idea. And now listening to the final product, I don't even know if that's true anymore. It's not quite chamber popish enough to be right. But it it I think it it's still it's it's of that era yeah it is it is um and it's uh and it and it works it works perfectly for for my needs so um so yes so i'm happy to have you here and i'm happy to be able to thank you in person thank you so much and in front of all of all of our listeners (laughs) here all of the millions and millions of listeners all six listeners out there hi mom hi um so but but like i said so you're here to talk about um to, to talk about songwriting and like singers slash songwriters, yeah, sort of something in that, yes. something in that genre. Um, so this is actually something that I know a little bit about, yes. uh, because even though I don't write music myself or play any instruments, yeah. um, music is something that I sort of um, have grabbed onto from an, from a, uh, an early age. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I do. I I personally tend to know a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that I know 
a lot of songs. <laughs> uh, there certainly is a lot of genres out there that I know nothing about. But in general, if you're listening to the radio, um, I, I know probably 90% of the songs. Yeah. Uh, either the lyrics or who did it or something like that. Because it's just, I just grew up, it just seems like I grew up in my car just listening to the radio. Yeah. Um, and going through phases in my life of sort of focusing on specific time periods and genres. Uh-huh. So it it expands out. It's like I know a lot of 60s stuff. I know a lot of 70s stuff because of my dad. Um, but then it was, you know, but then I grew up in sort of the late 80s, 90s. So I know that period into the 2000s in college. Yeah. But then like, but then I got into like 50s stuff because I had a lot of time in between like driving home to my work in high school and I would listen to like the 50s channel. Yeah. So so it's, um, and and so when people this is going somewhere by the way oh i know um when so when people ask me or would ask me like what music are you into uh my go to answer especially in college became i like anything with a man and a guitar <laughs> and i think what i was saying even if i didn't know the language at the time was that i like what are sort of um popularly known as singer songwriters yeah so what so what what am I missing? <laughs> what do I need to know? What's the history of it? What what's so fascinating to you about this particular subset of music? Well, you you know you've kind of already you've already hit on a lot of things and I I love hearing people's other people's journeys of music um how they discover it cuz nobody just listens to the stuff that's on the radio. Well, some people do. Right. But uh but not many people just listen to the current day music. They they always take that journey back. Um, and you started your own journey back, and everybody has different reasons for why they went here or there. Um, mine started with uh, with my uncle, who was very, very into music. Uh, not a musician himself, but he listened to like um, what would be called probably prog rock now. So he listened to Queensryche. I'm going to show off all these nerdy names. Do it. Uh, Queensryche and Dream Theater and King's X and a lot of Christian rock like Striper. Okay. When I was a little kid. Striper was my favorite band. Really? When I was like five and six. Wow. Loved it. Um, uh, I got into um, the only Christian rock that I ever got into was Jars of Clay. Um, and that's because a girl in high school uh, bought me the CD. Mm-hmm. She was very religious. Yeah. Um, she bought me the CD after... Uh, one day in her car with, uh, you know, we all hung out in the same friends group and a another buddy of mine was driving the car. He acted like he was going to run into something uh-huh. um, and then hit the brakes really quick. I yelled, Jesus Christ. <laughs> she turned to me in the back seat and said, you better pray because I had taken his name in vain. And then the next day she bought me a Jars of Clay CD and demanded that I listen and, to it. And since then, you've loved Jesus above and I, all and, things. And it worked. it worked. It worked. It worked. Um, Thank you. And Thank I've you actually invited you here <laughs> to see if you've heard the word. Um, wow, that's a turn that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> the old bait I'm, and switch. I'm, but what ended up happening was I actually I actually enjoyed it I, yeah, as, as music. music. Yeah. They, they make some very good music, actually. Yeah. Um, and something that, uh, and this is, I'm going to apologize now because I'm going to make a lot of tangents. <laughs> That's Some, all this podcast uh, is. Something that uh, that I think makes Christian rock music or, or contemporary Christian music sometimes fail in the mainstream and why Jars of Clay didn't is uh, sometimes these bands will lack a certain form of 
I don't want to say anything offensive. Uh, I, there's six people yeah, listening. That's true. That's true. Uh, Jars of Clay is very genuine, and they're very good songwriters. And the thing they happen to be writing about is is their religious beliefs. Right. It was never a hey, I own a guitar and go to church. I'm going to write songs about that. Right. Um, because crap songwriting is crap songwriting, it, regardless of of what what you're singing about or or how good your intentions are. I, I could I, I adore baseball, but that doesn't mean I can I can be a baseball player. You know? Right. Um, right. But Jarvis Clay actually does have has some good songs. What was that song that was really popular in the nineties? The Flood was it? The Flood. Uh, I I think so. Yeah. I can't um, believe I remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, and then I didn't remember. Yeah, we're, we both are misremembering. But yeah, it was. Uh, they had they had a few like sort of contemporary like yeah hits that you you could hear on the radio. But yeah. I think that's uh, something that I think good Christian rock does is mm-hmm. that it doesn't necessarily i mean as far as like kind of crossing over um outside of itself i think it 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 doesn't necessarily hit you over the head with the religious stuff it's only like afterwards or after you've listened to it for a few times they're like wait you're are you talking about jesus it's it's more of a what they did and um a lot of secular music does as well uh u2 does it and dave matthews does it uh just i'm naming big names everybody knows where there's a lot of they'll put religious undertones and things right is it's not as much a hey i'm gonna write a song about jesus or i'm gonna write a song about the bible to spread the word it's i'm just gonna write a song about the world like anybody else would do um and uh that's the filter that they look at it through that is part of their filter and their right. music ends up being just almost by accident uh um re- religious and in style yeah uh but that kind of is the whole point of it that's kind of what interests me about songwriting to begin with Good job. <laughs> um, Good job. Because it, it's all, it's everybody writing about the same things just through their own filter. And as long as you're not trying to prearrange what that filter is, um, you could, as long as you're not trying to prearrange what that filter is and you keep it honest to yourself, it'll always be interesting because it's always going to be different because people are always different. Right. Um, I feel like every singer songwriter, if you look at their full, their full scope of music of output, um, and I don't necessarily mean just somebody recording alone by the guitar. I mean somebody who, uh, it's not that they can't have a band. Um, it doesn't just have to be Bob Dylan recording with one microphone in front of him strumming and singing, though that's definitely in the genre. It could also be like Van Morrison, who has a great band behind him, but he sits down and writes that music right. um, by himself. And all of his songs he could perform by himself. He just chooses to have a band. But it's it's their filter through the world. It's it's their the way they see the world. And if you look at their full scope of output, it's like an autobiography that they're writing. They don't even know they're writing an autobiography, but they are when you look at them in retrospect. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like... I'm going to move this wire here for a sec. Um, uh, it's kind of like with any sort of art form, though, where you're sort of out there... Um, and performing, you know, it's very similar yeah. to like stand up in that respect, or even like improv, where the audience can kind of tell when you're not being genuine. Yeah, you know, and and you have to sort of find. I think you have to find that voice, mm-hmm. your voice, your perspective, the stories that you want to tell, and then yeah. once you kind of do that and engage in it, then you start finding the audience that wants that wants to hear it. Yeah. Um, yes. And if you're not genuine in it, mm-hmm. and and especially I assume, um, you know, in like Christian based music, especially, it would be very easy to sort of just make it a 
like a cash grab or a yes. like, hey, you guys will buy anything, yeah. you, you know, kind of deal. Exactly. Um, but you can tell you you know you know when that's happening and when when people are being genuine. Um, certainly, uh, there's there's a this is an odd reference to make, but there, there's a line in Wayne's World uh, when they're trying to when Rob Lowe's character and I can't remember his like little henchman's name. He's not little. He's actually a big guy, but uh, he's talking about, you know, they're trying to buy this show and how it has to be real. Cause he said, kids could spot a phony. And that line always stuck with me, even though it was the villain saying it. Right. Um, but I, as a kid, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, I can spot a phony. <laughs> I can always spot the phony. Yeah. Um, sound like SLC punk and be like a bunch of posers out there. Yeah. Oh, it's not real. So let's um let's before we get too deep into it let's let's get down to definitions. So okay. how are we defining like a singer songwriter? Okay, um, I'm gonna say anything in which there is one writer for for said project, whether that means that they perform everything on their own, a la Prince. You know, for several of his albums, not only wrote the music. And uh, played guitar. He played every instrument on a lot of those albums, um, the early albums, and some of his later ones too. The man had like forty-seven albums, mm. um, and that's not a joke. A friend of mine from college has all of them. That's yeah. another tangent. All of them. Wow. He found all of them. Even everything that he released, he has like a vault of music that he just recorded and then put in a vault. Never released it. And your friend has all of it. My friend has everything except for that stuff. Does he? <laughs> does this? Does your friend enjoy all of it, or is he? Or is he more uh, yes. realistic about and, it? And Prince is a good example, even though I'm not really a. a Prince aficionado. Um, he one of the things I love about songwriters is they will always explore. And when you have a band, um, your band kind of defines your sound. And not to say that that can never change, but you have other people around, and you just kind of fall into the same chemistry, the same rhythms. Even bands that change often, like a, a Radiohead, they still have something where you can listen and go, "That's that's Radiohead." Right. Um, there's something about it that makes it them. But uh. I'm going to keep the definition of songwriters to any project where it's obvious, like Joni Mitchell by herself on her first couple albums, just an acoustic guitar in her, sometimes a dulcimer, but all the way up through, like I said, Van Morrison or Elvis Costello, where they have bands, but those members don't do more than write their own parts of the music, which is nothing to, to, to slouch at. That's still a huge sure. thing that in, in musicians that are able to do that. And uh, certainly the attractions with Elvis Costello are brilliant musicians and brilliant at writing their bits but the the core of the creativity came from in that band's case uh, elvis you know he wrote it everything he can do he could do by himself he could sit home with an acoustic and strum it to you or play it on a piano and this song is perfect just like that right everything else is extra yeah um so let's i'd say that's sort of the definition to me yeah well and it, it makes sense but it almost seems i guess to a point it almost seems silly to have to define it that way because we are, I think, at this at this time, mm -hmm. so used to artists writing their own music. And certainly there are examples out there of sort of like, but that's more top 40 stuff. Yes. But it's like, yes. if you're not in top 40, then it seems like, yeah, of course, you're writing your own music. But, but it does, okay. I feel like, need to be at least distinguished for the history of it to say that that wasn't always it the wasn't case. It wasn't always the case. And... And specifically what I'm referring to now is somebody... All right, I'll take another band that I really like. Mm -hmm. um, R.E.M. is a band I love. Uh, I wouldn't say there is a singer-songwriter in that band. Okay. Um, and if they listen to this, awesome, for one. <laughs> wow. Uh, secondly, Hi, R.E.M. I hope I didn't offend you guys. Um, <laughs> but also, you broke up. I don't care. <laughs> um, but the, the... Is that because they're... I don't know their methods, so, but is so that because they're collaborative? It, it, or? It's, yes, because uh, the guitarist 
Peter Buck and bass player Mike Mills and um, drummer for a long time, Bill Berry, would write the music and they would write basically a full song musically together as a group. Um, maybe one of them would come in with an idea but, and sometimes more formed than other times. You know, sometimes they have things charted out. Sometimes it's, hey, I just have this riff and we go from there. And then um, Michael Stipe would come in and write his lyrics later. Right. He'd, sometimes they'd already have a vocal melody form. Sometimes they wouldn't. Um, and he would write from there. The only song that I know of by them that was written the other way around is uh, one of my favorite songs of all time, Night Swimming. I don't know if you know the song Night Swimming. No. Um, definitely worth a look up. But uh, that is a poem that Michael Stipe wrote. And then um, Peter Buck and Mike Mills both went to write music for it. And then uh, from what they say, and I wasn't there, obviously, but from what they say, Mike Mills played his uh, version, which was a beautiful, beautiful piano part. Um and it just fit perfectly. And then uh, Peter Buck said, "He's got it. I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna play mine." Oh wow! <laughs> Nobody's ever heard Peter Buck's. It's, <laughs> he was like, "You know what? I'm I'm out. I'm, yeah, <laughs> we're we're doing that." Okay. Uh, so that's more what I mean with the singer songwriters. It's like there's one creative force in got that it. band that that writes the song. Okay. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about, you know, I was interested in that question um, while I was thinking about this episode last night mm-hmm. in preparation for it because I was watching a. Um, a one of the many documentaries about the Beatles uh, that I engage in and one of the things that they kept talking about and sort of one of the one one of the more significant things that you sort of learn about the Beatles up top Mm -hmm. is that they were they were writing their own music which was sort of unheard of yes at the time and you know and I kept going like but they're not singer songwriters even though they're doing it you know they are or they aren't Uh, they sometimes it's it's almost like per song uh right the beatles are are a hard case because you can make the argument that the beatles fit into almost any genre oh of course of anything because obviously like um, well and they mostly created any genre yeah exactly so if you look at like please please me i wouldn't say oh yeah that's a great singer songwriter but you can't listen to uh paul mccartney play like blackbird and say oh that's not a singer songwriter." right that's definitely even though it's listed as you know lennon and mccartney for rights reasons, yeah. that's a whole other. That's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> right. That mess. That's uh, not a teach me that, thing. That is. That's that is clearly. That is clearly Paul McCartney. Yeah. Wrote that song and performed that song. Well, see, and that's that's why it's so interesting because it's one of those singer songwriter seems to be, and that's why I'm asking you because mm-hmm. it seems to be one of those things that you can hear a song and know in the middle of it, like, yes, yes this is a singer songwriter. No, this isn't. But then yes. it's like, okay, why? And then yeah. it becomes harder <laughs> yeah. to sort of like define. Yes. Um, um, so, and but I think we have our definition down. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, and the reason I, it's important to say singer songwriter for me is because, and this is a definition I'm making up now. So Great. I Great. by no means mean that this is a definition. Uh, but songwriters existed for a long time, like Tin Pan Alley singer, uh, songwriters. Yeah. And whatnot. They wrote like all, like Ira and George Gershwin and um, other names are alluding me. Uh, Irving Berlin and uh, well, even like Carol King. Yeah, and and Car- Carol King. People, yeah. people that write songs. Uh, Lou Reed was actually a songwriter before he started um, Velvet Underground. Oh. he wrote pop songs like I did not. For, know yeah, that. for uh, for like a record company, um, wrote pop songs, and wow. it's hard to imagine Lou Reed. Yeah, whose most of his songs are about <laughs> transvestites and, and heroin. Yeah, uh, doing that, but that's I'm speaking specifically of of singer songwriters because it. Something about the singer-songwriter says, I'm attaching myself to this. I'm not writing this song for other people to sing. Right. I'm writing this for me to sing. Right. About me. And maybe that's, 
or at least my filter, my view on something, uh, and not a universal thing. And that's what makes it different. So is that is that what sort of you think draws you to it uh, at an early age, or whenever it is that you kind of start getting into your own? I think so. Um, the taste. music I listen to, like I said, I started with my uncle listening to that prog rock stuff, which is very musically challenging and, and got all this virtuoso stuff. And my dad was very into um, uh, sort of 70s, I guess you'd call it corporate rock now. Uh, my dad's favorite band is Bad Company, and his second favorite is The Eagles, and he was into Foreigner and Journey and all that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, and that's what I grew up on. But I found when I was trying to find my own voice, being the, the sensitive kid uh, that, um, <laughs> that had a, a dad that was a fantastic athlete and an uncle who was a fantastic athlete and trying to find out where where do I fit in there. Yeah. Um, I think I accidentally fell into the opposite of that. And I started to go into calmer music and more personal music. Uh, R.E.M. was actually one of the first bands that I found that was like, this is my band. My uncle almost disowned me for buying. Really? Okay. Disowned is a strong word. But when I, when I told my, <laughs> when for Christmas one year, I asked for an R.E.M. album and my uncle was really upset with me. Is that true? Yeah. He, he, he said, um, he's like, why he thought I was selling out. And I had to explain him like, Richie, my uncle's name is Richie. I said, Richie, it's it's 1998. Nobody listens to REM anymore. Like this isn't selling out. Um, you, you spoke to him that you like you had the perspective from like 2015. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, bro, not yet. That's that's not it's not selling out. Yeah. Um, I but I had seen I was up late one night, couldn't sleep, and I had VH1 on when VH1 used to do music things, and mm-hmm. I watched a, like a I have I've always loved like the behind the music stuff. Yeah, uh, and I watched one on REM followed by a storytellers of REM, and I said, "What? What is this? I'm actually having feelings listening to music right now." Oh, that's so interesting. And I found uh, that all the music that I liked from both my uncles and my dad's genres, the ones I liked the most, were those calmer ones where the 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 band or the singer was getting more personal, a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. So that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of finding all these other things that that were like that or connected with me in that. So way. were you looking for like? similar sounds or did you start getting into like who influences REM and kind of working your way backwards or a little bit of both. Um, and a lot of it I owe to, I had friends with very good music taste in high school and then, uh, and then in college that just constantly, constantly showed me things. Sometimes I'd fall ass backwards into them. Mm -hmm. Um, I happened to be at my friend's house and he had again, VH1. I didn't realize how much of my life I owed to VH1 video hits. Um, and in the background, VH1 was on, and they showed an Elvis Costello video of uh, him playing the song Allison. He was playing it live. Oh. Um, and I had never heard the song before. The only thing I knew of Elvis Costello was in Austin Powers 2 when he sings that Burt Bacharach song. Oh, right. Um, and his output is nothing like that except for the one album he does with Burt Bacharach, which is great, by the way. Um, <laughs> very, very good. Uh, and I just kind of fell ass backwards into that. And I asked my friend about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I have a best of of his. Because my friend Matt had a best of of everybody. Sure. Just, he just had had it. Uh, and That's the best way to go. Yeah. and na- But now, because of that random, I happened to be in his kitchen at the right time to hear that song and said, oh, that seems interesting to me. Because it, was, it wasn't the album version. It was him strumming an acoustic by himself doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that that guy's my hero. Like, I, he's in my top three musicians, you know, influences of, of music ever. So, yeah. I listen to him all the time. I know way, way too much about Elvis Costello. I'm going to try to not make this the Elvis Costello podcast. Um, you did fight when we were talking about um, possible topics for you to for you to come on with. You did. You kind of <laughs> did waver back and forth between 
the the sort of more general singer songwriter and the yeah. very specific <laughs> Elvis very Costello. Specific Elvis Costello. I said you could do either one, but uh, well, I, I want to keep it general because I because I do listen to a lot of things and it depends on my mood. Um, but uh, Elvis is a is a perfect example. Um, something about singer songwriters because they put their name on it and they are sort of the driving force. Um, they'll fluctuate more with with genres. I found myself that I always liked musicians that weren't afraid to change genre. Hmm. I think the first one I noticed, um, I had a box set uh, that I got to impress a girl that I was with because she really liked Billy Joel. And uh, oh. I was like, so I'm going to get a box set of Billy Joel to say like, look, I like Billy Joel too. But I knew like no Billy Joel songs. Um, <laughs> That's a commitment. Um, a box I, set. She, it wasn't my money. It was mom's money. Oh, perfect. Thanks, okay. mom. That's... <laughs> Which thankfully is fantastic, and and I love Billy Joel, but he, uh, if you know Billy Joel at all, is all over the map. Sure, he'll just say, "I'm gonna release a doo-wop album, and you're gonna fucking deal with it." That's what I <laughs> want to do. Um, and I love that sort of just following your your onus. Uh, Van Morrison did that as well. He's most known for, you know, maybe cheesier songs now. You know, doing like a probably his most famous song now is what is it? I just called no, not I just called to say I love you. Um, can't remember the name of his damn song but uh who van morrison van morrison uh well other than brown eyed girl uh yeah um but but um he's got wild nights or whatever. yeah he he does a lot of soul music but like the first song i heard of his was actually um moon dance which oh right yeah which is a jazz song very very much a jazz song and as i listen to his stuff i love that he will jump those genres and he will have straight up jazz songs and then very much old soul songs and rock songs and I like that sort of, I'm going to let, instead of saying, this is my genre and I'm going to find emotions that fit this genre, I'm going to let whatever I'm feeling dictate what I play and, and kind of where it goes and, and going right. on that journey. There's something about songwriting when you let the song take you that I really, I really love. Um, and I, I feel like I can hear, and I could be entirely wrong, but I feel like I could hear when a songwriter is letting the song take him somewhere mm. he doesn't necessarily know where it's gonna go right um some of dylan's stuff his lyrics are are he has a he's the only poet he's the only person to ever get the nobel prize for for literature for songwriting and that right. was a couple years ago and it, you look at some of his stuff um especially in, in like the late 60s when he was in the the big pink house with the band um and a lot of it's just word association and word play and he doesn't you could tell or at least I feel like I can tell when you listen to it and you read through the lyrics that he doesn't know what the song's about until he gets there at the end. Like there's, <laughs> there's, there's all these verses that are really clever and you could tell they mean something, but you can't pinpoint it. And then he gets to a verse or second to last verse, last verse. You're like, it makes sense now. Right. I get it. That's what the song's about. And I feel like he was on that journey too. Right. And it's, it's that sort of struggle to find what is on my mind. Cause when somebody says, Hey, what's wrong, Tony? You look like there's something wrong. And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go write a song. And hopefully by the time I get to the song, finish the song. I'll and there's, know what there's it is. something, there's a lot of strength and there's, you know, it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that and put yourself out there. I think, you know, it is kind of admirable to just kind of lay yourself bare. Yeah. So, um, so if we're, if we are kind of within these parameters talking about like the history of it, do we say then in your opinion or estimation, mm -hmm. does it start? with Dylan where does where does it start well I think singer-songwriters as what we know them now and the modern the modern uh, 
starts largely with Dylan. It does start largely with Dylan because he's sort of, he was trying to just do folk music at the time, do like Jimmy Rogers stuff. Um, but he couldn't help, but, but. I mean, because obviously he had his influences. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, do you go back to like the gut, you go back to like Woody Guthrie or, I I mean. I, I, I say it's, it's, it's several fold. I, I would say that the modern singer songwriter that escapes folk starts with Dylan, because um, Woody Guthrie and 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 Will Rogers and all that. That's that's or sorry, Jimmy Rogers is uh, very much going to be locked in that old folk, which and it's great music, but it's locked in that sort of folk genre, right? Um, and outside of writing songs that are that that can really run the gamut of about anything, sound like anything, and Dylan sort of was a big charge of that. And honestly, I'd say blues music is actually a big, big part of it. Sure. Uh, because blues music, because it is such a simple and recognizable form, it, it's uh, 99% of the time the same the same three chords or the same interval. It's not, you know, you could play it in any key, but it's always the, the first chord is always your tonic, your number one, and then you go to the four chord and then the five chord, which... Music terms, whatever, blah. But uh, I love it. Uh, this is what I have to learn. But yeah, so it's always that same form, which means okay. Now me as the songwriter, um, who's just learned how to play guitar, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I have my form. It's this. Right. Now what do I want to talk about? Right. It's down to, and then it becomes the lyrics. Yeah, and then it's about, and then it's about you. It and comes out so, the content. So I think blues had a big part to do with it, and there was a change with Dylan when he started to be a little less folky and start to go more blues influenced. And that's when I feel like it really took off. He says, you know, I'm, I can do all this other stuff and I could do some very fancy guitar playing with, you know, finger picking and all that stuff, which he's a, a very underrated guitarist. Um, but he can also write a blues song that just plays three chords for eight minutes. Right. And you're just like sitting on your couch going, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Um, if you can get over the, which I get, uh, I, I get that that's a struggle for some people, but. There was always um, something um, fascinating when I, I took a course in college. Um, it was like a history of rock and roll. Or yeah. Was it history of rock and roll course? It must have been because we, we started with like blues mm-hmm. um, because that's, you know, the natural place to start for it. But then I always remember uh, the, the, the professor talking about how uh, when Dylan gave up smoking... And then recorded Lay Lady Lay. Yeah. And his voice was completely different. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, that's always stuck with me yeah. as um, not only an interesting bit of trivia, but also as a, a lesson to just like, hey, lay off the, <laughs> lay off lay the off cigarettes, the, the cigarettes <laughs> you know, because with them, you, you do, you see, uh, 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 you know. I want to know what, um, uh, I, I want to know what Tom Waits smokes to get that voice. Oh, he smokes. The, I mean, it's gravel. It's gotta it's, be. It's it's. I saw it like a display once that was like a. It was like the the anatomy of a Tom Waits, and it was like there's a furnace in the brain. There's like gravel in the tongue. <laughs> there's an actual like smokestack in there. Right. Like, <laughs> there's which, a blender in there. Somewhere. But oddly enough, like that's a choice he makes because I don't know if you've ever heard him like croon something no. where he turns that off. Oh really? And you're like, oh my god, that's that's so Tom, it's an affectation. That's Tom Waits, yeah. That's so interesting. And he could. He could put it on. He could really put it on sometimes and make it very, very gravelly. But then he could also, uh, his uh, most recent album, which I think is called Bad As Me or Same Kind of Bad As Me, uh, has a song that I didn't believe it was him singing it because it just, it was, he was singing pretty. Wow. Um, that's so interesting because yeah. that's like, that's, that, that is what he is known for. Yeah. 
is that voice. But it, it's an affectation. Wow. Um, it's it's how he chooses to to perceive it. It's it's about playing characters. And you know what? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's. I think part of the reason I got into singer songwriters is um, because before I started writing music at all, uh, I was I was a performer and. There's something about songwriting where since you're on your own and it's your voice all the time, you're taking on other characters. It's not always you, right? even if it's in first person. And Tom Waits is a great example. He's always taking on these different characters. Yeah. I, don't, I don't believe he's necessarily lived all of those things. God, I hope not. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but there's something about putting yourself in that person's shoes and really letting it affect you. And, you know, what would I do in this situation? Not just talk about this guy over there, but like... Yeah, make it personal. Make it make it about you. Yeah, um, and it gives you a different way of looking at the world that I really I really appreciate. So how does that? Um, how does how does like the, the 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 change that whatever whatever Dylan was displaying or whatever the movement was at the time? And obviously, it was just a very sixties yes movement. Yeah, and well, you know, and and you know, sort of like with your uncle and and mm-hmm. the, you know, NREM. It's mm-hmm. like with the. Uh, with the uh, sort of gift of, of hindsight, we can look back and go like, yeah, that was, I mean, that was so stereotypically 60s, but like there was a yeah. real movement back then. Yes. What does it mean for the industry at the time? What does it mean for these like Tin Pan Alley guys, you know? Well, for a while they were trying to kind of make Dylan one of those. And in a way he, he was. Um, most of the hits by the birds were written by, by Bob Dylan. In fact, I think almost all of the major hits, really, the vast majority of the major hits are are Dylan songs. Oh wow! Um, and uh, especially earlier in their career, it, a thing that's interesting about '60s music is they still had a they still had an old '40s jazz mentality as far as the industry goes. Right. Um, and by that I mean, in the '40s and '50s, somebody would write a great blues standard like a, a "Smoky Weather." "Smoky Weather" is my favorite blues standard. Uh, my favorite jazz standard. Um, and that's not written for just one person to sing. That's written for everybody to sing. Yeah. You know, Ella Fitzgerald has a great version. Etta James does a great version. Joe Pass has one. Like, everybody does it. And in the 60s, they tried to do the same thing. So an artist like Dylan would write a song, come out with it, and then the birds would cover it, and then somebody else would cover it. And yeah. then, some, and then in, especially because it was harder to get... Um, it was harder to get albums from the United States into England, vice versa. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to hear American music, sometimes it was easier for an English band to re-record the, the version. In fact, uh, here I go back to Costello again. Costello's father, um, was in a, was in a dance band and they would re-record songs that were big American hits. They would re-record them in the UK and sell them there. And, And a lot of, a lot of English bands did that. Um, cause that's, that's how you made it. That, that was how you made your living. Right. Um, well, and that's how you got the music out there. Yeah, exactly. That's how I got the music out there because it because it was hard to import a record from the United States. But if the recording studio got it, and then you could just copy it basically, and you know, make it your own, obviously. But uh, that that's how you that's how you were able to hear that music out there, you know. Right. Uh, and so they were kind of trying to do the Tim Pan Alley thing in a way, mm-hmm. and then I think it just kind of got away from them, or or Dylan. And people like Dylan started to go more and more off the rails on what they were talking about. And it's like, okay, we can't have everybody sing Masters of War. That's going to get a little... We can't have the birds sing Masters of War. That's going to be weird. Um, Right. But he was definitely a big driving force of saying, okay, I'm not just going to talk about how great everything is. Um, And I'm not just going to say, oh, I'm sad. I miss this girl. Like, I'm... Which... And I love those songs. Trust me, those are my favorite songs. But 
to write on things on a bigger scale and things that are very personal to 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 Bob Dylan in that yeah. case where it's like it'd be weird if somebody else sang it. It'd be weird coming out of somebody else's yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's him. Yeah. Uh and maybe this is it's an odd thing. Um I love the birds and, and I like a lot of birds music, but every time they do a Dylan song, I'll go, I like Dylan's more. Hmm. And I could recognize how the birds one is better musically and it's got beautiful guitar work. And of course you don't have to do with these tambourine man, you know? Um, yeah. But there's something about Dylan's that is so sincere. And then I guess that brings us back to the sincerity. Yeah. Yeah. There is an authenticity to it. I remember, yeah. um, and the name escapes me right now, but it's the, uh, what's the Dylan song? where he's basically just ripping the other, whoever he's talking to, a new one. Oh. Positively. Uh, is that Positively 4th Street or whatever? Yeah, that's one of them. It's it's You you described half of his catalog. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> is it's him the, tearing people apart. Yeah. Um, what, it's the, you've got a lot of nerve. Yeah, I think, I think that is Positively 4th Street. Is that Positively 4th Street? Street? And I remember hearing that for the first time and... And being like, I almost had to pull my car over because it was just like, it was so sincere and authentic yeah. that I was just like, wow, this is me. You know, it's yeah. not, a, it's not even like a diss track. It's just, I was just like, wow, he means this. Yeah. You know, and like it was, there was something about the, just that intensity behind the lyrics mm-hmm. that I think you're right, w- would be lost if somebody else were singing it. It's at a certain point, poetry entered songwriting mm. beyond what makes I think good poetry good poetry is um, being specific. There, I think there's this misnomer that if you're too specific on something, people won't want to listen to it because they say that they can't, they won't be able to relate because oh the specifics don't match. But it's the specifics that make you relate to something because it makes it so real, right, and so visceral. And poetry had done that for a long time, and then songwriters started to do it, like Dylan or Leonard Cohen, who is actually a published poet and novelist first, yeah. and and I believe an English professor as well, and uh, somebody, and then he's like, hey, this people like Dylan are getting popular. I could write songs, and he bought a guitar and started writing songs. He was in his I think early to mid thirties when he released his first record. Yeah, um, Leonard Cohen, and um, well, and he's somebody that I thought about when we were talking about kind of secular music using the religious yes undertones or mm-hmm. you know where it's just you know obviously with hallelujah you know um was the first mm-hmm. thing that i thought of because yeah it, you know it's not intended to be a religious song but i think because of the language it 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 hits people in a yes. different way and I, I that's hallelujah is a very interesting song because unlike uh, i get the impression that dylan's music a lot of it is is first drafts you know right maybe second drafts whereas uh, Leonard Cohen famously or somewhat famously uh, has been re- rewrote Hallelujah until the day he died. He, right. There's like 40 verses of Hallelujah. Uh, if you listen to Leonard Cohen's live music um, from the 70s or well, not 70s because Hallelujah wasn't around yet, but uh, from 80s all the way through the, the time he passed, every version of Hallelujah has different lyrics in it. Right. Um, what we think of as the definitive lyrics aren't even the lyrics that were on his album, various various positions, which is where that song appeared. It's actually Jeff Buckley's yeah. collection of lyrics, which he pulled from a couple different. Which was a cover of of somebody else. Of somebody yeah. else, and and it's a couple different versions. It's, yeah, it, but he for those of you, it's it's actually a really interesting story. It is something that is. I I do. There's a whole book about it. Yes, um, and it's great if you ever if you ever go want to pick it up. It's an entire book about one song. Um, but it, yeah, it basically outlines the mm-hmm. story of. 
uh, Leonard Cohen could never decide on mm-hmm. which verses to use. He had like like Anthony said, like yeah. forty of them, yeah. um, and he just sort of arbitrarily <laughs> would pick them for his concerts. Yeah. Another musician happened to see it, mm-hmm. uh, see him in concert, and said, "I really love this song. Can you fax me over the lyrics?" Mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen faxed him over every verse, <laughs> yep. um, unknowingly to this artist. He was like, "Holy shit! I don't remember this song being eighteen minutes <laughs> yeah. long." But Leonard was like, "Well, this is the entire song," and so this guy put the verses together that he liked the best yep. in the order that he thought made the most sense, mm-hmm. laid it down, recorded it. And then years later, uh, Jeff Buckley is house sitting yeah. for uh, a friend of his who also happens to be like a music producer or executive uh, or something. Yes, what was that guy's name? I think it was a woman. I can't remember the name. Um, and she's got, she's got a compilation a disc yeah. in her collection that happens to have this cover mm-hmm. of the Leonard Cohen song that he happens to put in one night, hears it, and says, I have to record this song. Yes. Um, and it becomes the definitive yeah, version. Yeah, it becomes the definitive version. And then Rufus Wainwright later covers that version. Right. Well, it kind of, yeah. Uh, and you can find, there was actually one of my favorite versions of the song is uh, Stephen Page from the Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. who's my REM. Oh, um, awesome. Uh, and he is at a funeral for some Canadian government official, mm-hmm. and he sings every verse that's out there. Oh, wow. So he ends up singing all of the Leonard Cohen verses as well as the Jeff Buckley verses. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful and gorgeous and yeah. it all hangs together um wonderful in my estimation perfectly but i can see why some were picked over others as well but but anyway that's that's the tangent for that song look into it it's 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 a fascinating but, story but it's it's well that's a good example of what i what we were speaking about earlier where it's you know sometimes you write a song trying to find out what it is and it's, you don't know what the song's about until you're done writing it right i don't think leonard cohen ever really knew what that song was about Mm-mm. he couldn't decide like for me, when I hear that song, and I can't help because I heard the Jeff Buckley version first, and uh, it was a while until I finally went back and listened to Leonard Cohen. And even when I did go back and listen to Leonard Cohen, I listened to his '60s output long before I picked up his '80s stuff and, and heard his version of it. Um, I've never once thought of that song as a religious song. Yeah, it's not. It's well, got religious imagery, but it's. I mean, I, I I'm saying in the sense that I yeah. agree with you. Yeah, it's. It I mean it's. It, it's from. Specifically, what I believe it's referring to is uh, there's there's a, a book of the Bible called Song of Songs, which they don't usually talk about in church. Um, but if you've ever read Song of Songs, or if you were in a church where they covered it, it is it is a Bible book about about sex mm. for pleasure. That's actually what it's about. It's about you know en- enjoying a man and woman enjoying each other for for the sake of enjoying each other, right. um, which isn't something you hear a lot about in church. Um, but it was it was written as a letter from from King David. So I heard there was a sacred chord that David played, and I pleased the Lord, and so on and so forth. Uh, so when I hear that song, I only I think most of Leonard Cohen's songs are about sex. Yeah, um, uh, like Chelsea Hotel. Uh, I remember it well in a Chelsea Hotel. You were giving me head on an unmade bed. Speaking of things that are odd for other people to sing, because that is a very specific right. thing that happened to him yeah. and another recording artist. Uh, that he did name and then regretted naming her. Um, oh. It was Joni Mitchell. Oh, of course it was. Yeah, of course it's it always Joni Mitchell. It's the Canadians. They got to stick together. <laughs> there's, um, only, there's only a few of them out there. But it's so specific uh, in that song, even though, even if you can't, I mean, obviously we haven't all gotten blowjobs from Joni Mitchell, but uh, it's, he gets so specific in that song Yeah, um, in a way that a, a usual pop band wouldn't do that only like a singer songwriter will get that that specific with it right um 
And that's what makes it real. Because mm. I've never gotten a BJ from Joni Mitchell, but I've been in situations where I could feel the same way that he felt. Right. In that moment. Right, 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 right. You know. But it wouldn't be this, it wouldn't sound the same coming from you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I actually got to play a Leonard Cohen tribute show a few years ago, right after he passed. And a bunch of artists from town got together and, and record and uh, played a show and everybody played different songs. And um, that was one of the ones that was still available to play because I was kind of brought in late to the process. Uh-huh. And I couldn't do it. It felt weird. I, I sure. chose something more. I chose my three, the three songs I chose were a little bit more um, universal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I actually, I put up a, I put up a Facebook thread not long before then saying, Hey, if you were to, in theory, cover a, a, a Leonard Cohen song, what, what's your favorite Leonard Cohen song? Right. And I actually think, I think you, Brett, commented on it. I, I did. Think I took one of your suggestions. I think I said, um, uh, what one was it? Um, the, uh, I lit a thin green candle mm-hmm. to make you jealous of me. Yes. Um. I wasn't able to play that one. I looked at that one and I wasn't able to. What, what is it called? One of us. No, I'm thinking one of us cannot be wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I yeah. do remember that thread. Um, that was one of my like. I'm going to show off <laughs> some of my obscure Leonard Cohen knowledge. I was. Everybody impressed. says hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, obviously I was still available, but I wasn't going to play that one. Yeah. And they actually had another, you know, Orlando famous person come in and sing that one, mm-hmm. and it was gorgeous. But. uh so here's a weird question that kind of popped oh, of up when you said not a lot of people would get that specific about it mm-hmm. in their songs. Yeah. Um, and, and my first thought was, I, th- I feel like they would in hip hop. And I feel like a few things that we've sort of mentioned here already have parallels. I'm glad you said that. What do you I was, think? I was actually going to bring that up. Um, I think that, that hip hop is, is a great bastion for, for great songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and people think of, of songwriters, singer-songwriters being the guy with the guitar or the lady with the guitar or piano. Um, and while that's true, I think hip-hop has definitely very, very much taken that torch and, and run with it. Um, maybe not Little John so much, but like, right. it, it, but if you've ever listened to uh, Common's albums, um, the, the album B by Common is a singer-songwriter album mm. with, with, you know, that's easier to dance to. But it's, right. <laughs> it is a singer-songwriter's album. It's, and got it's that very spirit. specific... Um, to him and some beautiful, beautiful poetry in there. Um, a lot of Tupac stuff actually was very, very specific and very real and, and very grounded in the specifics of, of what these people, you know, the specific, uh, artist grew up with or around. Right. Um, so yeah, I definitely say that that falls into it. So kind of, I mean, it kind of sounds like as we sort of re- refine our definition Mm -hmm. it's it's not only just the artists sort of writing the songs and then performing it themselves whether by themselves or backed with the band but also that it that it comes from personal experience and it's almost storytelling in a way yes yeah i I would say it's it's less of a genre and more of a and more of a uh modus operandi i guess Mm. um Mm. There you go. You're welcome for that. Uh, Latin, and, everybody, and, and that's why, and, and that's why I could say I don't think the Beatles are in a genre of singer songwriter. Right. When you go to your Spotify playlist and you put in singer songwriter, you're not going to get that. But there are definitely singer songwriters in the Beatles. Yeah. Um, something by George Harrison is a, is a singer. He that is his song. Right. Um. Uh, maybe not Ringo so much, but <laughs> I 
<laughs> you don't think you ever experienced no, octopus's no, garden? No, 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 that's the... <laughs> I shouldn't think that comes I, from... I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't pick on Ringo. I actually, um, if we can go on a slight Ringo tangent that has nothing to do with singer-songwriters. Please. Um, I used to make fun of Ringo because it's so easy to make fun of Ringo. Yeah. But it, it, when you watch um, the Beatles anthology DVDs... Uh, and they go through that short phase, like in the mid-60s, I think Ringo is, was he getting like an appendectomy or tonsillitis or something? He had something mm-hmm. where he couldn't do a couple shows. Yeah. And they have clips from the shows where they had a, a backup drummer who might musically be a better drummer. Yeah. And it didn't feel right. Yeah. Something about it just didn't. George didn't even right. want to go on. Yeah. He just, I mean, the thing that you, it, it, the, the deeper you get into the Beatles, the more you learn that Ringo was the glue that held the band together. Yep. He was the guy who was friends with all three of them, which was a hard thing to do because they were rarely friends with each other. (laughs) Yes. But he was always friends with them. He Mm -hmm. never fell out with them. The one time that he, they pissed him off so much that he left the band for a few days. Yeah. He came back and they had filled the studio with flowers. (laughs) Yep. As a way to apologize and say, oh my God, we're sorry, Ringo. (laughs) After they broke up, they would always get back together at his house as a, you know, as a way to try to reconcile, to try to figure it out. They never did, but it was all, he was always, you know, and he was a great drummer. He was, he, he was never flashy cause he didn't want to be. Not yeah. Cause he didn't, not cause he couldn't. He no. just, he hated doing drum solos. Oh yeah. He thought they were silly. He had he, one yeah. in the entire, yep. In the entire. It's actually a very good one. And, and as a drummer, you listen to a song like come together, which obviously everybody knows the baseline, but if you took out the, the drum part of that main riff and come together, mm-hmm. It's a boring riff. Yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah. You need that. It's what it's, it's the glue. Yeah. Um, I've heard it. Um, it's been said before. Uh, this is not an original thought, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, I've heard it said that like, obviously uh, John was a great songwriter and a mm-hmm. singer and guitar player. Paul was a great singer and songwriter and bass player, mm-hmm. guitar player, yeah. drummer, everything. You know, George was a Ringo's talent was uh he just he he got along with everybody. Yep. And that's exactly what that band needed. Yep. To stick around for as long as they did. You know, and they only they didn't they weren't around for a long time. No, they were not. And it's hard to believe considering how much output they had as far as, you know, actual recorded works and all, and then the meaning of those works. Yeah. It's hard to believe that they were so short-lived. Oh. Um like 7 years. Yeah, six or seven years. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, a little bit more than that, but but about not not very not far off. Uh, I mean, if you consider if you consider their first album, I mean, obviously they did stuff before it, but their first yeah. album dropped in '63, and their last album dropped in '69. Uh, okay, they they were still releasing singles up through '72, but they had already broken up by then. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think that's where I was getting the. And obviously they were they went on. But, Way longer than that, and um, yeah, you know. But Ringo, Ringo was the only one that played on all of their I solo. I was just albums. gonna say that Ringo played on all everybody's solo album. At least one of them has a has a solo song. Yeah. So if you're out there shitting on Ringo, stop it. Yeah, because you know what, that band needed somebody who was. I'm interested in writing a good drum part for this song, not writing a good drum part to show off what right. a good musician I am. Yeah, or what a good writer I am. Absolutely. Um, Oh, I love Ringo. That was our ring. That was our Ringo, <laughs> Ringo rant. Hey. Um, but uh, so, but but we can uh, we can segue back into it because they obviously were uh, influential to, but also influenced by uh, other artists of that time and era. Oh, of course, and especially after they met Dylan. Yeah, and he kind of introduced them to 
more illicit drugs. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. You know, it, it kind of changed their sound, which then in turn influenced Certainly. other people to, you know, kind of get into what they were into. They have, what are the, there's two songs. There's a Dylan song and a, and a, a Lennon McCartney song. That's I'm pretty sure just a Lennon song that are almost exactly the same. And I don't remember who wrote who's, who whose was first. This is going to be a terrible story. Cause I can't remember the song. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to sit here till you think about it. Uh, but, um, I think it was it was Norwegian Wood and uh, a song that Dylan wrote, mm-hmm. um, but Norwegian Wood was trying to cop off of a cop off Dylan. That's what he was doing. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And another song that came out in that same time period. There was a while where Lennon was writing ver- that style of songs and trying to do. Uh, Girl was part of it, and, and Norwegian Wood was definitely part of it, uh, and trying to get that kind of imagery. Yeah. Uh, the '60s were a crazy time for music where. Bands had bands and artists and songwriters had sort of a competition with each other, and they would all egg each other on. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's been talked about ad, ad infinitum that you know people talk about Sgt. Pepper's being this huge album, which it is, um, but it influenced Pet Sounds, which was a huge thing by right. by the Beach Boys. But Paul said, "I only wrote I only wrote Sgt. Pepper's after I heard." Good vibrations and right, and Brian Wilson says, "Well, I only wrote good vibrations after I heard Revolver." Revolver, right? You know, and, and that sort of artist building on top of each other, um, and that's always a really. Whenever you get all these artists together, all working at the same time, they build off each other, and there's not the competition that you sometimes see with songwriters or artists or bands in general. I think is something purely that the fans see. Mm-hmm. The fans make that up. I don't think that really happens with yeah. the bands. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, especially in terms of this is turning into the Beatles podcast. Um, but especially in terms of like, <laughs> like, like things like Beatles versus Rolling Stones. Mm. What a lot of people don't really understand is that they were friends. Yeah, and the Beatles actually wrote their first like single. Yeah, you know, and 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 in doing so, they they basically ran an unfinished song over to the Rolling Stones, said, would you want this one? Mm-hmm. It's not done yet, but if you want it, we'll finish it right now. They went <laughs> off into a corner to finish the song. Uh, Mick Jagger like went and spied on them and went, oh, that's how you guys write songs? We're going to try that. Yeah. And from that moment on, they were writing songs in the Lennon-McCartney method. Yeah, which I think started with, was it Street Fighting Man they started with? That no, sounds... it was another one. Um, I don't remember. I'm... I'm woefully ignorant when it comes to Stone's music. That's not true. I <laughs> Anthony's having a fight with himself. <laughs> compared to, I I don't want to say I know a lot about Stone's music because I know people who like love the Stones. Sure, and I'm and I'm not one of them. Right. You know, I I like the Stones, and I might know more than the average person about the Stones. Right. Uh, it's very similar to. Uh, have you ever read the, the book High Fidelity? I've no, I've never read it. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book that. I relate to all too much. It's like the one book I read every year. I, re- mm. I read High Fidelity once a year. Interesting. Um, sometimes I'll read about a boy instead by the same author. Uh, but there's a there's a part in that where he's because it's about a lot of things, but it's a lot about music. And um, the narrator says, you know, I'm not one of those Dylan people. Like I don't. I mean, yeah, I have Blood on the Tracks and and Blonde on Blonde and <laughs> and Highway 61 Revisited and 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 Tombstone Blues. But like I don't like I'm not. I'm not like one. I mean, I have this album. He, <laughs> right. He's got like twelve Dylan albums. Right. But he's like, I'm not like a Dylan guy. I'm not a Dylan guy. Yeah. Um, I feel that way though. I feel like, um, like I said, especially where we are now, looking back though, I feel like that is 
the case for especially a lot. I mean, uh, if you want if you want music cred in certain circles, yeah. you listen to singer songwriters, right? Yeah, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell, uh, Elvis Costello. Yeah, some of the more some of these artists that that almost flew under the radar as far as like top 40 pop but yeah. still had a huge influence and and, are, and and which is not to say that they're not well known of course you of know course. what i mean but it's sort of like they still have that kind of street cred yes of like oh you you know Joni mitchell's blue you know yeah. and you're like hell yeah you which know if you don't know Joni mitchell's blue right and again it's like if Go you don't what mitchell's is wrong blue. with you um you're not running in the right circles and you know it I used to be like that in college, and I've learned from actually listening to another music podcast with a, a great singer-songwriter, Adam Duritz of Counting Crows. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and, and a good friend of his who's a music journalist named James Campion have a, have a podcast out. Um, and they talk about how they used to be kind of that type of, how, what's wrong with you? And now it's more of a, oh, you've never heard Joni Mitchell's Blue? I am so excited for you right. when you go and listen to this now. Yeah. You're gonna call me crying in <laughs> in the middle of the river. You're right. like, it's like jingle bells, but it's a minor, and I'm dying. Yeah. And I'm gonna be like, I know, me too. I get that way sometimes when I when I hear new bands or I or I read something and I just I get mad on Facebook and I go, why didn't nobody tell me this existed? <laughs> yeah, up to you, you know, yeah. like, do you not know me well enough? Did you not think I wouldn't enjoy? Yeah, Spoon or you know whoever else. Oh, I love Spoon. I love Spoon. Spoon is wonderful. Not singer? Are they sing, singer songwriters? In your in that, your definition, that's a tough one because I don't really know how they write. I wouldn't. I don't think so. I think they're a little bit more collaborative. Yeah, I wouldn't listen um, to them and think singer songwriter. Yeah. Um. So, but I think all we've really proven is that music genres are, are inherently bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fluid. Um, so so okay. So let's get back though to uh, um. Let's get back to you and your sort of journey and experience. Okay. So so. You get into Elvis Costello. Yeah. Right? That was a big one. And where does that lead you? Um, Elvis Costello took me a a lot of places. Um, I actually first... I looked into him because of, of, like I said, being at my friend's house and and hearing that one song. And then I got sidetracked from his songwriting because I had had that same year picked up playing bass, which was my first instrument. Mm -hmm. And um, the bass player for the attractions uh, of Elvis Costello and the attractions is my favorite bass player. I fell in love with them and then i didn't know you could have one of those yeah <laughs> i think only bass players have favorite bass players got it, got um, it. and uh, most people would say flea uh which is a good one right uh but for a long time i was getting ellis costello records and not even listening to the songwriting i hate to say i was just listening to the bass playing oh, like okay. wow this is so cool and um it was going through like my first major major breakup that i was like Oh, wow. He's like talking about shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was actually when I heard the song, I want you by Elvis Costello, um, which is six minutes of, of misery on tape. And I adore it. Um, <laughs> it is so specific and torturous and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and very Bear. it's there's not a lot going on in the song uh, uh musically yeah it's fairly unencumbered and knowing that that was an option and letting just the song be the song right you don't need all these other things it became all of a sudden the complete antithesis of the music i grew up with where it's like and now here's where the big solo is right 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 um it just let let the song be the song um 
That's cool. And let the story be the story. And God, it tears me apart. It's a cool. That's a cool realization to have too, yeah. where you hear it for the first time and and it's successful, and you go, "Oh, wait a minute! You don't you don't have to have the big yeah productions or the you know mm-hmm. the wall of sounds or anything. Yeah. It can be very spare. You know, I think that's why it it always was so. Um, attractive to me that that answer of like just a man and a guitar because it's well, like you don't need much more than that well in songwriting as a as a genre mm-hmm. i think it is very much that sort of you know bear right if you want to talk, speak of it as a genre not just singer songwriters as beings but the genre of singer songwriter music i don't think i can live Without you, it starts off almost cliche, and I know that I never will. Which I love because it starts off, and I'm like, I, oh, I was always in search of a baby, of the perfect love song back then because I was really romantic, right? Um, so I when I first started so to hear this song, I was like, this could be it. It's so sentimental. I love this. <laughs> and then it takes a turn, which will come up here. Yeah. And I love you. I didn't know that was like I I'm gonna repeat myself and just say I didn't know that was an option. A waste of that sudden switch to minor. And then like the guitar comes in like an actual stab wound. You, <laughs> like yeah. an electric guitar. You had your fun, you don't get well no more. I want you. Your fingernails go dragging down the wall. Is this in the same time as the opening, or no, does it change? It changes. It changes. Yeah. They're almost like two different songs. I want you. I woke up in one of now, this was this chord progression mm-hmm. goes the full song. You. Never changed. Young man, um, I do now. When I was first playing this song or talking to the song about somebody, uh, talking about this song with somebody, they said, doesn't that get boring because it's so repetitive? Um, and I was trying to figure out why it didn't bother me. And this is a big realization for me as a writer and for listening to other music. It's like, that's the point. Right. Because uh, this is the, the narrator of this song is, is obsessing, you know, and it's clearly a song about jealousy. And that's what that feeling is. You're replaying yeah. the same thing over and over again. You're, you're imagining the person you want to be with, with somebody else, and all the specifics of that over and over again. Yeah. Um, well, it kind of lulls you into a, a sense of security and comfort yeah. because you can, you know, you can start anticipating what's going to come next. But then it's, like we said before, it's it's almost like then it's the lyrics that sort of. Yeah jump out at you and you know and you and and can surprise you yeah and be like i thought we were safe yeah but we're not but we're not that's great so yeah that's really good yeah we don't need to listen to the full six minutes we'll be we need we need something stronger than than our our beers if if we're gonna start that's true um so okay, so 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 you start you start getting um, you start listening to the actual lyrics mm-hmm. um, after sort of listening to just the the, the bass lines and yeah, the players, yeah. and you and you start to you start to what you just start to go oh this is, this is what songwriting can be or this is what songs can sort of mean it, it's, or it's strange that I hadn't made the connection sooner because when I was in seventh grade I started writing you could call it poetry but that's not even 
fair to poets. Mm. Um, but it was always, <laughs> there was always a melody to to what I was writing. And lots of times it was a melody of a song I already knew or bits and pieces of things. So I guess you'd call them lyrics in a way. Um, so like I knew the importance of lyrics to me personally. It just never occurred to me to listen to other people's. Or I guess I, I did, but they were always generic. Mm. Even when they would use good imagery and... You know, they were well written from a from a metaphorical, you know, oh, there's a great metaphor there and there's a great analogy here and there's this great imagery here and all yeah. that. And that's and that prog rock stuff that I talk about that my uncle listened to is is has a lot of that. Um, but it wasn't until I heard Costello and and Morrison and then a, a couple other singer songwriters that my friends got me into, like Elliot Smith and Jude, which nobody a lot of people haven't heard of Jude, but Jude is wonderful. Um I didn't realize how specific it can be. Yeah. And getting that specific and honest. Um, even if that meant, even if that meant that it poetically, you know, in an academic poet, poetic sense, mm-hmm. wasn't that good. Uh, that the lyrics of, of I Want You by Elvis Costello aren't going to be published in a poetry magazine. Right. You know, they're not meant to be. Right. It's supposed to be real. It's, it's supposed to be real and almost conversational. Yeah. Um, and knowing that that was an option and like, no, you have to put a piece of yourself in it. It can't just be you showing off how good your vocabulary is right. or how clever you can be. Right. That's what made, that's what made it different. And then I started kind of just going from there. Um, and then I eventually, you know, started listening to some Dylan, which took me a while to stomach because uh, everybody struggles with the voice, mm-hmm. which I get. Um, and I came from a from listening to genres with great singers, you know, quote unquote, great, good singers. Um, you know, like the dream theater guys, who's an operatic singer. My dad listened to all the corporate rock. Those are all good singers like Glenn Fry and, you know, all these people with beautiful, pristine voices. And I was a theater kid. So like Broadway singers were always a thing. So yeah. hearing somebody who it's like, I can hit a total of five notes. And, <laughs> yeah. And all of them are going to sound like, yeah. But then I grew to love that. I grew to love that, you know, he's the only one that can make that sound. That's him. Yeah. He's not being a singer. He's being, he's being Bob or he's being Elvis. Yeah. Um, you know, some, I mean, that's not to say that singer songwriters can't be great singers. Van Morrison is a terrific singer. Right. I think a, ter- a terrific singer, uh, who also was a singer songwriter. Yeah. Um, there is something though to it where you, where you listen to an artist, um, who's you know telling a story from their own perspective or their own uh experience and the voice isn't perfect and there's just there's you know i think of um uh uh bright eyes you know and like connor oberst um who is who who, i mean sometimes it just it just feels like he's gonna lose the entire song yeah Yeah. his his voice is wavering or it just seems like i'm like there's no way he's gonna hit this note (laughs) you know what i mean and it's and and it's almost a struggle but then but then you listen to the lyrics and 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 it's a struggle it's the story that he's talking about and so it just it makes sense because because the narrator in that song doesn't know if they're gonna make it right they don't know if they're gonna hit that that note in life yeah connor hitting yeah that note in the song and i'm glad you brought up connor uh i'm calling him connor by his first name like i like i know but uh He's from Omaha. I'm from Omaha. Yeah, it's fine. So, so you guys are totally cool. We go um, way back. But I'm glad you brought him up because he was another big, like, enlightening for me. 
um, when I first heard Lifted or The Stories in the Soil Put Your Ear to the Ground. I think that's the full name of the album because mm-hmm. for a while, indie bands had to put really long titles on all of right. their albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when I first got that album, besides the fact that the arrangements of it are gorgeous, absolutely amazing arrangements, like marching band arrangements and, and all that, um, which uh, I need to remember I want to talk about arrangements too when it comes to songwriting. Yes. Uh, but, because he's a great example, but looking through the lyric sheet of that, because I used to like to read the lyrics along with, with listening to it, which mm-hmm. I've since stopped doing because I found that that distracted me from listening. I'd rather go back later and read. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you've never listened to Bright Eyes or uh, listeners out there or or looked at these lyric books, there's no, very rarely is there a chorus and it's not written the way lyrics are normally written. They're written in paragraphs. Right. Which that changed me as a writer immediately. Oh, see, that's interesting. I've never thought of that. Immediately. Like, I don't need to have a form. I'm just going to throw it all out there. And that's what his music sounds like. He's like, I'm just going to start talking and I'm going to keep going until I've gotten it until I'm out of breath. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, th- I can't think of any, there's maybe two songs of his off that album that have a chorus. I mean, later on, some of, some of his albums later on have a little bit more structure, you know, traditional structure. Yeah. But that album specifically was just so in your face and just, I have a lot of things to say, and I'm going to say all of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Oh, man, blew my mind. Um, <laughs> so what did you want to say about arrangements? Uh, so about arrangements. Uh, an arrangement, I think, is part of songwriting, and this and this doesn't necessarily mean big production, it, though it could, um, and, in, and in that album definitely is. And in another one of my favorite um, bands, Counting Crows, is very, very good arrangements. I like... I think of arrangements different than just playing good solos because I'm going to kind of co-op something an acting teacher of mine once said about musical theater performers. And I'm going to kind of make it work for songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you can say and you can talk about how you feel. And if you can't say those things, you might sing them, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause that, cause it's, it's gotten to the point where just the words alone don't do it. You have to sing them. And to me, when I can't sing it, that's gonna. That's when I'm gonna strum it differently, or I'm gonna add in something oh, else. Interesting. And 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 that could come out in like, here's a solo. Look at me, you know, jerking off with my guitar. Or <laughs> or it could just mean I strum in a different rhythm, where I strum quieter, or I put in a little melody. Yeah. Um. And then I bring other instruments in, and they also do that. It's all those things that the words and the voice just can't say. And that's what makes the arrangement. If you arrange for the song, not just for everybody the band showing off and i think that's another difference for me between a singer songwriter and a band mm-hmm. you know because a band will say how do i fit into this um most of the time and how do i fit my voice in this whereas a singer songwriter is going to say how do i use all of these instruments to also have my voice right um yeah and, and and there's definitely places where it crosses over adam duritz writes most of the music for counting crows and he has a lot of great musicians and he's very influential on those arrangements, um, but he doesn't like notate out all of their parts. But mm. he's very influential on. No, I need you to be a little bit quieter here. I need you to be bigger here. Uh, actually, Michael Jackson was like that when he wrote a lot of his songs. Oh, really? Michael Jackson did not play an instrument, but he would record what he wanted every instrument to do with his voice. Oh, wow! I had no um, idea. Like he would, and actually, Ozzy Osbourne has said did the same thing. Hmm. So he would go to the guitarist and be like, I want you to do something like, and then 
Randy Rhodes had to figure out how to do that. And then right. you have Crazy Train, which everybody knows that riff. <laughs> but Ozzy, though, he couldn't play guitar like he had that. He knew it. It was those things that he couldn't say in words that yeah. he, he needed a guitar to say it right. for, you know? Oh, yeah, that's cool. So I don't think of necessarily a singer-songwriter as just necessarily playing a boring chord just to be there. Right. Otherwise, there wouldn't... Otherwise, all singer-songwriters would perform a cappella, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like you said the, with, with like um, the, the song we just heard, Elvis Costello. You're mm-hmm. like, that wouldn't be published in a, in a poetry book. Yeah. But once you set it to that specific music and yeah. that specific song suddenly mm-hmm. becomes yeah. the entire poem. Yep. It's not just the words. Everything having a purpose. Um, is there one? I've got the Bright Eyes album up. Is there one oh, in God. particular um, that you can think of? I used to listen to Lover I Don't Have to Love all the time. Oh, God, that I one's so good. don't know why. <laughs> um, I, but they're all good. I'm going to say, just because it, it's had such an influence on me as far as like carrying me through some stuff, I'm mm-hmm. going to choose one of the few songs on here that isn't terribly depressing and say Bowl of Oranges. Oh, that was, yeah, was going to be my second choice. Um, all right, here we go. Let's see. The rain had started tapping on the window near my bed. There was a loophole in my dreaming. Already, it's just, it's not a confident voice. Yeah. Just on this album, yeah. Yeah. early on. This is what, the second one? But it's so endearing. Wait, here's this character, it, but it's it's a good example of arrangement. And it's a good basic one, because this beat is used all the time. But this is a song about a guy who walks out of his house and is walking down the street, and it feels like walking. It's traveling. It is moving around. Right. And every time he sees something new, a new instrument comes in, you know? Mm. When he talks to somebody else, that's in the background vocal. That's another vocal. Yeah. That's so cool. Everything serves that story. Yeah. This is like one of three happy songs he's written. Yeah. <laughs> in his entire existence. Thank God for And they've all got voice. they I think they I think in order to get to the happy place he's gotta have that moving yeah, that yeah. like yeah. almost that train like or else he'll just, he'll just fall back into depression. Um, and, and not to get too personal with it, but another thing that singer-songwriters taught me was that it's okay to be sad. Right. Uh, singer-songwriters not exclusively sad, but there's a lot more sad music in that than there is in, say, you know, Top 40. Oh, of course. You know, truly depressing music. And yeah. it somebody, as somebody who, who suffers from that and deals with depression and all that, it's... It showed me it was okay. Yeah. Listening to Connor Oberst, because some people would say, why do you want to listen to something that's so depressing? Doesn't it just make you sad? And I, it, it's kind of like the Hulk thing. It's like, I'm always sad. I'm always, yeah. This tells me it's okay. Yeah. It gives me some somebody else out there to connect to yeah. and a community that you can connect to. If yeah. you can find other people who enjoy it, you go, oh, you're sad like I am. Yeah. And it's okay. And it helps you work through things. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, Bright Eyes especially Bright Eyes was always my go-to for getting over breakups yeah. or things where it's just like yep time to be sad for a yeah. little bit um, what's the second song in here like Method Actor I think or Method Acting yeah God, that song does a lot for me too we don't, I'm not going to make you play it otherwise we're going to end up listening to this whole album <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. if, when this is done if you just want to hang out and listen to Bright Eyes I gladly will but, great let's do but, it 
Um, it's always one of my favorite. My, I think one of my favorite lyrics of all time because it does resonate with me. Is uh, it's on a later album, but he says, uh, "I'd rather be working for a paycheck than waiting to win the lottery." Such a great and it's just like great line. Yeah, when you think about it for a second, you go, "Oh, I get what you're saying." And well, and he's one of the something that doesn't happen a lot in top forty music, which obviously you're trying to keep things more positive, and a lot of it's aimed towards teenagers and 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 all that. So there's nothing wrong with it, but. He song singer songwriters. Once you get more mature, will address it. Like, yeah, you can be in love with somebody. That doesn't mean it's not work. Like, yeah, right. And that doesn't mean it's going to work out. Right. But like that lyric says, instead of just waiting for something to happen, I'm going to work at it. Yeah. It seems oh, to be more more grounded and 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 a realistic uh, point of view. Yeah. Of songwriting, it's not. It, it doesn't always. It's not always. Um, I think you you touched on it before, but that top forty sort of like everyone's in love we're in love we're always yeah. going to be in love love is great you know it's yeah. and sometimes uh, you know when you get into a lot of these artists and their songs it's like mm-hmm. life is hard love doesn't always uh yeah. balance out on both sides yeah. you know there's a lot of songs where it's just like i loved her she didn't love me yeah or you know he walked out on me and uh here i but, am and this but this is one of the things i love about songwriting because that is such a universal thing that's been written about so much that you think it would get old right but it doesn't because it's different for everyone exactly and um even not to go back to the beatles but one of my favorite beatles songs paul mccartney's song um for no one is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. uh and it's because it addresses a breakup in a different vocabulary than i've ever heard before because usually it's you know i don't want you or i don't need you or or, sorry or or, i don't love you but in that song um the the woman leaving the narrator turns and says i don't need you anymore mm-hmm. which doesn't say she doesn't love him it just says it's not what i need anymore which is so in some ways for me so much more heartbreaking yeah um yeah because it it, it is a it's an un, it's almost an uncomfortable truth yeah you know where it's like it's almost like uh this this is a stretch but it's almost like like watching like an R-rated movie with your parents for the first time and like that sex scene or that nudity scene comes on and you're sort of forced to sit in a room with other people and you go like, we both know what this is. We've never acknowledged it to each other, you know, or, or, you know, and, and it's like, if you're listening to those types of songs with somebody, it could very much be a like, (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh gosh. Do, do Do you remember the song I'm speaking of? For no one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think so. You're a big Beatles guy. Yeah. Um, oh, what's what's the damn line? At the the you stay home. She goes out. There was a time when all the things she said would fill your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Man, music can be heartbreaking. It can be, but that's the thing. Life is heartbreaking. Music's just pointing it out. Not to make this depressing, but like yep. that's this is how we're gonna end it. By the way, we're gonna end it night. on a real downer. <laughs> um, this is uh, thanks for coming on, Anthony. <laughs> Everybody's sad now. There's something to it, though, because when you start to, you know, there was a, a Guster song, mm-hmm. uh, Love Guster. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they would be classified as singer-songwriters um, necessarily. Yeah. Uh, they they towed that line, but there was a, there was a song, uh, and again, this goes back to college, um, but there was a song that I loved, similar, I think, to your Elvis Costello, where you mm-hmm. were like, oh, I know what this is about. Yeah. And then you actually listen to it, and, and you go, oh, this isn't about what, what I thought at all. Yeah. Um, but I remember I used to like, I used to think it was like a really sweet love song about a guy 
talking about a girl. Mm-hmm. And then I heard a live version of it, and he opens it up by saying, this is a song for all you assholes out there. <laughs> and like, my ears perked up, and I went, wait, wait, why? <laughs> and then I actually listened to it, and I went, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I've gotten this wrong the entire time. <laughs> oh, man, that's heartbreaking when that happens. Yeah. that's It's like upsetting. It is upsetting. <laughs> but it does sort of make you reevaluate, and it is like it, it, it is one of those things where you sort of go, Oh, I need to listen to music differently. Yeah, you it's know, true. and I imagine if you're playing it too, that that's that's one of those things where you go, oh, I need to, I need to approach my my songwriting differently. Well, and there's also this idea that songs need to mean one thing all the time, mm-hmm. and they don't. Even to the even to the person playing them, I I can at least speak from my own personal experience. You know, I I can remember the reason I wrote every song I've ever written, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm thinking about that every time I play it. Right. I'm still connecting to it, um, or at least I should be, otherwise I'm not doing my job. But it's it's whatever that day is making me connect to it. Mm-hmm. That's usually why I choose whatever song I played. Um, and sometimes you never know why you write something. Uh, actually, something I want, I want to bring up now, uh, one of my favorite singer-songwriters is Ryan Adams. Mm-hmm. Not no B, just Ryan Adams. Though, oddly enough, here's a fun factoid, they have the same birthday. Is that right? Ryan Adams and Brian Adams have the same birthday. Oh, interesting. And Ryan Adams loves Brian Adams. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you'd think like he's this dark brooding guy that writes all this, you know, serious, you know, great indie cred music. Yeah. He would be the antithesis of, you know, Brian Adams. Yeah. He's like, no, I love that. He loves it. I love that. But, yeah. uh, and it's a good example of what I say when somebody should be able to play these music, play their music by themselves with like a single instrument. And that to me is singer songwriter and all the other stuff is cake on top. Uh, Ryan Adams is a great example. He has a lot of great albums with a full band and really good band and great guitars and bass and organ and yeah, you know. Uh, one of my favorite albums of his from a couple years ago is just Ryan Adams at live at Carnegie Hall and that's just him mm. in this huge opera hall, just him strumming and sometimes playing piano and singing these songs and even at their bare bones and something about that, especially when you're going through something, it no longer is a band shouting at you it is one person like you and i in the room right now talking about something yeah and now it's like just your buddy he's just talking to you about what he's feeling um and you might have feel it too uh but there's a there's a song in there he finishes playing a song on that album and uh somebody from the audience who's clearly moved says says thank you just thank you mm. and uh and ryan adams who's actually very very funny because they keep in all of his between song babble uh just says, I appreciate it, but I, I don't know why I wrote it. I, to this day, don't know. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. And like, you could tell it means something to him, but he couldn't tell you what it means. Right. And that's what, that's what pulls me more into songwriting as opposed to listening to singer-songwriters. That sort of like trying to figure out what the hell is going on inside my head. Yeah. Because I don't always know. Yeah. Um, and I have some songs that I don't know what they're about yet. Interesting. But they... they have the potential to and i'm mm-hmm. sure as you play them your audience mm-hmm. finds their own meaning in it yeah which must be I very so. satisfying as <laughs> I, an artist i i hope so yeah <laughs> i can i can hope they do yeah um well um this is actually a perfect segue as we kind of wind down okay. here um i want to do two things yeah. uh one i want to get like final just final recommendations from you of uh who to check out or albums okay. or anything, kind of like a maybe a singer songwriter primer or just uh, 
you know, like we mentioned Joni Mitchell's Blue. You've mentioned yes. a lot of artists, but just a who 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 do I go out and 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 look for and listen to? Okay, I will say albums that I want you to listen to, and I will give specific albums because I'm that nerdy. Mm-hmm. I will listen to, um, listen to Elvis Costello's first record, "My Aim Is True," um, and I'm going to name that one because there's something very raw and personable about that. And he has a band on that record, but it's not like his band. These are session guys. Um, so it's even more just about the song in that case. So I would say start with My Aim is True by, by Elvis Costello. Um, I would listen to um, listen to The Veden Fleece by Van Morrison. Mm. Um, that, uh, that is probably my favorite record of his. Uh, and that's V-E-E-D-O-N Fleece, I think is how he spells it. It's him and two dogs are on the cover. Um, <laughs> And uh, so that I'm not just naming, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name Nick Drake. Listen to Nick Drake's Five Leaves Left. Mm. That is a, a beautiful, beautiful album of great, great arrangements and stuff. But again, it's very much about the song, right? With, with all those. And for more modern stuff, check out Ryan Adams live at Carnegie Hall. If you're very brave, you can listen to the full, like quadruple album that is the full show from both nights. Um, okay. And some songs are repeated, but he plays them a little bit differently. Or I think there's an album, and all this is on Spotify. Uh, but there, I think there's also like a highlights album that just condenses it down to like one disc of the best of those two nights. Yeah. Um, and I should name another one. For singer-songwriters, just because I mentioned them a couple times, I, I should say it. My favorite album of all time, even though they're not my favorite artist of all time, is um, Counting Crows' This Desert Life. Oh, your favorite album of all time. My favorite album of all time, and my favorite song of all time is Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, track two. That's a good one. The The lyrics in that are just incredible. Yeah. I never get sick of them. Cool. Um, okay, so then the second thing is, thank you for the recommendations, by of the course. way. The second thing is, I'm going to put you really on the spot. <laughs> okay. Uh, because here in the studio, we do have a guitar. I do have a guitar. Uh, Anthony is part of a band. He is a singer-songwriter himself. The name of your band is? Hey Angeline. Hey Angeline. Yes. Are you also on Spotify? You are, right? I am. Yeah. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. So here's what I want to do. Okay. I want to hear one of yours, baby. Okay. Can you do that for me? I can do that. All right. How sad do we want this to be? I want you, whatever, I want it to be, if it's a song that you... Don't know what it's about, or if, whatever, whatever, whatever one you feel right now. Okay. Um, I'm so bad at putting. All right. Um, I'm gonna. I'll stick with one that's a little bit more upbeat. Okay. This is the song "Hey Angeline." I actually named the the band after this song. Oh, perfect. The titular song. <laughs> the titular one. Well, I left my whiskey down in Tallahassee And if I go back, well, I'll never find it And if it's still there not devoured The ice all melted, the lime all soured It would not taste right, not half as sweet It would not be you Well, I'll stay on route, you know, I'll deny my liver and in the new day I will find a new liquor, but 
not the whiskey, no. That's Tallahassee, no. You simple in a glass of history. I take my days one shot at a time. Well, hey, Angeline, won't you stand by me? Be my kinetic queen. Won't you sing me, sing me, sing me to sleep? Well, I woke up this morning with a striped suit and hat. I've been apprehended and exiled with no map And now I'm trying to find my way home But you know, it's not that easy when you've always been alone I've been in prison in my own mind I'm incarcerated, yes, I'm doing time to keep me from my crime Don't try to call me, no Don't try to write Just know that I conjure you up every night And in these visions you sleep next to me Well, hey, Angeline Won't you stand by me? Be my kinetic queen. Won't you sing me, sing me, sing me to sleep? Well, hey, Angeline, don't you just watch me bleed? Well, I need you to fade, man. Teach me, teach me, teach me to be. Whoa, 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 yeah. Whoa, 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 yeah. Whoa, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That was a thing. Ooh, <laughs> nicely done. Thank you. That's why I asked him to write the music to this podcast. <laughs> That was awesome, man. Uh, hey, Angeline. Yeah. Listen to it on Spotify. Thanks, man. Right? You guys, yeah, you Spotify, play concerts iTunes. every once in a while? We try to. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, this was a great conversation. Thank it you was. so much Thank for coming you. in. This was awesome. Thanks for letting me put you on the spot like of that. Of course. That was, that was probably the best song that we, uh, we've we heard in the entire episode. Oh, uh, you so. <laughs> Thank you for that, and uh, love to have you back at some time. I we can uh, We can keep talking about uh, the Beatles or Elvis Costello or that. anything that you want, man. I would love but, to do uh, that. In the meantime, thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, man. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Anthony Smith, if for nothing else, his original music. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all on my website, www.brettwalden.com W-A-I-M. And if you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, we have a community for that. Go to facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod and let your voice be heard. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on and tell your friends about us, pretty please. Now here's a preview of next week's episode.
but there's strategy to it, and it's got nice pieces. And um, the the goal in that game is to is you're building a mosaic on a wall, which is probably about as far from um, being a tank commander yeah. on the Eastern Front <laughs> as you can get. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>